I know that Joseph felt the truth of that song we just sang. He was a young man who was introduced to us in chapter 39 as somebody very sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit and to the presence of God and to the sovereignty of God. And all through the rest of the story of Joseph, we find not somebody who is distant from God, who doesn't mention his name, but somebody who is very close to God and who finds God to be that shelter and strength and strong tower that the Scripture talks about. And I hope you have discovered the same to be true in your life, that God is your shelter, He's your strong tower, He is your defender, He is your shield, He is your comfort, He is your strength. And if you find that, then you can follow the tracks of Joseph as we turn to chapter 40 of Genesis and sit down with Joseph. The scripture says, Jesus said, that one day people were going to come from the east and the west and the north and the south and they would sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven at the table there in the kingdom of heaven. Well, we've been sitting down with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now Joseph whose sons were Ephraim and Manasseh. So Joseph inherited a double portion of the land of promise from his boys. There is no tribe of Joseph, but there is Ephraim and Manasseh. And so Genesis ends up with this story, this chronicle of the life of Joseph. So much to learn here. So much to see going on in the life of Joseph. I'm starting in verse 1, chapter 40. Some time later, we don't know how long, but time is pressing in on Joseph, like it would be on you if you were unjustly incarcerated, if you were locked up in prison and had done no wrong. Some time later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. And just to renew your memory, last week we saw Joseph running the house of Potiphar, unjustly accused by his wife, thrown in prison, the end of the chapter there is that Joseph does the very same thing in prison as he did in Potiphar's house. He attends to the, du the, to the duties he is assigned so well. Soon he is running the prison. After they'd been in custody for some time, there's some more time, all right? Each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker, the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream that same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Which they did. They told Joseph their dreams. The butler 
and the baker. And the butler's fate was good. In three days he was released. And the baker, his fate was bad. In three days he was hanged. But when Joseph interpreted the dream of the butler, he said to him, Now look, I am incarcerated in this prison unjustly. Please, when you get out of here, tell your boss so he can do something about this. And chapter 40 ends with the words, The butler did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So Joseph is the forgotten man like sometimes we feel. Forgotten by the butler, and sometimes it must seem like all others. And he's a man who is waiting. Feels like he's marking time. He's had dreams of great things, and he's trapped in this prison, and he doesn't know how to get out. He's got things to do. He's a forgotten man and a man who was waiting. And a man who dreams. And his dreams seem captured as well as his body. But Joseph has a connection with the Father above that is powerful. And he does not abandon the behavior that he believes is the will of God, even though he is forgotten, even though he is waiting. He does the very same things that he did in Potiphar's house, and I suggest to you that if you follow Joseph's footsteps, you too will experience some of the things that he experienced. If you would like to do that, I have a couple of suggestions. Begin now to serve others. That's my first suggestion. I want you to start serving others like Joseph did. Now that's not news to you. The scripture says here that Joseph attended to the butler and the baker and the word is the fundamental Hebrew word for serve. He served them. Well, we are people who follow Jesus. Jesus said even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many so even our Lord was a servant Jesus taught us that the greatest among you will be servant of all he taught us that the first are going to be last and the last are going to be first and this pyramid that we build down here is going to be turned upside down one day and so you are called to minister and to serve and I emphasize the word now because while you're waiting, you can serve others. A person who has a heart to serve can walk into any place, be it Potiphar's house or a prison, and see things that need done and do them. He can do the menial task the things nobody else will do, the things that don't belong to anybody else because they are in the common space. Everybody's business is nobody's business, and so those things never get done at the office, in the break room. 
wherever you are, though you feel forgotten, though you feel trapped, and feel like you're marking time, begin now today, tomorrow morning when you head out, to serve others. Do it deliberately. Do it on purpose. Look around your world, around your space, for things that you can do that bless the lives of other people. If you do this, you will be following in the tracks of Joseph. You'll be sharing his heart and the heart of the Master. And it changes your world. In fact, these small deeds of service that Joseph does as he's in Potiphar's house and in the prison are noticed by the people around him. Eventually, they do him good, not ill. And it may be that the liberation you're seeking will be triggered by the service you provide in this moment of your waiting. So I'm challenging you now to a change of attitude, perspective, and lifestyle. Begin now, today, not later. Begin now to serve. So often we look on past the present to what we are going to do one day for God and others when we finally get all our business in order. And the day never comes. Life is a series of challenges and obstacles about which you can fret and worry, all of which in their succession will keep you awake at night and biting your nails and grinding your teeth till the day you die. And you will exit from the planet never having reached that place of peace that you thought you were building toward because it's in the illusion. You are not one day going to get your life so well ordered that serving others in God is of no convenience, inconvenience to you. You can do it with no change of schedule. It's as easy as pie now. No. I talked to my brother yesterday and we were talking about when we had little kids and he said you know I don't know how we did it because I don't have any time now even though they're all grown up and gone one of them sitting right there that's how life is it fills right up and then it's full just like it is now wall to wall door to door dawn to dusk every day the very same way you say well something's got to change here's something to change begin now to serve others make it your task every day make it a focus I have another suggestion to follow the footsteps of Joseph shift your focus to their faces. Change the way you see your world. Now, it's possible that uh, 
you're engaged every morning in putting on your face, caring for how you look and who you are. I hope you do. It's a, it's a nice thing to do for everybody around you. Get up, clean up, wash up, and look good. All right? But I'm going to suggest to you that you pay less attention to your face, that you be not consumed by the mirror, mirror on the wall. I'm going to suggest to you that the best thing you can do for your face, okay, is to put a smile on it. Put a smile on your face. Joseph walks into the prison and he looks at the butler and the baker and he says, you know, you guys look sad. And I have a suspicion that people who were around Joseph just started enjoying life a little bit more than they used to. And even though it was prison, it could even have been a pretty nice, pleasant environment there in the prison with Joseph there taking care of people, going about it as if he really loved to do it, as if it just meant the world to him to help them out and attend to them. What you do with your face is you put a smile on it. The Scripture says, A merry heart, what? Doeth good like a medicine. But a broken spirit dries up the bones. Something about Joseph. There's an energy there. Dale Carnegie took a whole chapter of his famous groundbreaking book, How to Make Friends and Influence People, just to talk about the smile. Something about you smiling changes the room. It attacks the gloom. Your smile. It does. It's palpable. It's real. The impact you have with your countenance in the lives of others. Charlie Wise is a dear friend of mine. He's getting on up in years. He's in his mid-80s. And when they celebrated their 50th anniversary, he and Mary Alice Wise, I said to Charlie, so what's the best thing about it? And he choked up on me. He choked up on me and he said, it's coming home from work and every day she meets me at the door with a smile. And he couldn't hardly say it. It meant so much to him. So this is what you do with your face. You put a smile on it. You say, well, I don't want to be pretending. You're not pretending. You got something to smile about. Joseph has something to smile about. He is trusting completely in the sovereignty of God. He has faith that the things he dreamed are going to come to pass. He's walking in faith. He's practicing patience. 
even though he's trapped, even though he's waiting, even though he's a forgotten man, if you are of the opinion you don't have anything to smile about, you are living in the bleakest world I ever heard of. Change your countenance. Begin now to serve others. Shift your focus to their faces. I want you to pay attention to people around you. Joseph did. If it had been me running that prison, I would have buzzed right by the butler and the baker. I know I would have. That's the kind of guy I am. I'm just too caught up. I'm the absent-minded professor too often. My friends will tell you, man, I'm just headed out. Sometimes I feel like the Energizer Bunny just going on my way, getting my job done. In fact, I tell the staff, look, let me know if you're having trouble because I'm not good at reading it, but Joseph is. Joseph walks in and he sees their countenance and he knows they are dejected. Pay attention to the people around you to their countenance. When you walk into work tomorrow morning, pay attention. Why? Because the countenance will indicate the calling you have in that person's life today. And if somebody is dejected, and you can tell it, it's okay at the appropriate moment to say, what's happened? You're not your usual self. Is there anything I can do? Why are you dejected today? Sometimes you have to earn the right to ask that question because you're the person who's doing the service and everybody counts on you now. When it needs done, you'll do it. And you earn the right to ask the question, how are you doing? It showed up on their faces, this thing in their heart. You got to shift your focus to the faces of others if you're going to serve as God intends for you to serve. You also need to shift your focus to the face of God. Jacob wrestled with the angel and he said, I've seen God face to face. Everybody's looking for God's hand. God, I, I need your hand today. I want this, that, and the other. Who's looking for his face? Anybody here seeking the face of God? We want what he gives us. But what about his face? His presence? You find the face of God, it tells you about His heart. God's heart pours through His face. When you're seeking the face of God, you're seeking communication. You're talking to Him, Him talking to you. Eye-to-eye contact with the Father. That's what devotion is all about. That's what prayer really is. Listening and talking to God, seeking His face. Shift your focus 
from your own face to the faces of those about you, it will liberate you from the self-consciousness that continually asks, how do I look? What do they think? Am I coming off all right? Such a self-consciousness collapses your world into itself and you can no longer be who you are. So you start caring about the person outside of you, watching their face, looking for their need, seeing what's going on in their life, like Joseph did, and then asking the question, what's happening with you? And finally, I got a third thing I suggest to you. Listen to their dreams. Your dreams, when you are out and unconscious, are unfiltered and uninhibited. And most of them, you're not eager to tell me or anybody else. But they reflect what's going on some way in your mind and heart and body. And some of those dreams have interpretations that might even make sense. And you wake up from them and you think about them and you know, that's on my heart. I'm worried about this and I understand why I would have dreamed that because that's what's going on in my soul. And Jacob, Joseph knows that God understands dreams and he is the interpreter of dreams. So when the butler and the baker come in with their questions, Joseph asks them a question that I think is a very personal question. He says to them, tell me your dreams. Tell me your dreams. Isolate those words in your mind for a minute. Tell me your dreams. What a question. Hey, Dad, when was the last time you sat down with your daughter and said, Honey, tell me your dreams? Have you ever said that to your spouse? Would you tell me your dreams? I believe you would learn a lot about the people closest to you that you think you know so well if you said to them one day, tell me your dreams. I want to know. And if they were willing to share their dreams with you, if you would be still and quiet and listen as they relate to you their dreams. Joseph invited the story of their dreams and responded to them in God's sovereignty. I tell you, brothers and sisters, we need to love each other well enough and know each other well enough and walk with each other closely enough that we, we can ask this question. Tell me your dreams. By the way, 
What are you dreaming? What are your dreams? If you need somebody to tell the dream to, I'd like to hear. I'd like to hear what you're dreaming to do with your life in this community, in your home, with your business. What's God drawing your heart toward? What are you dreaming about? It's an important question. Not only to ask, but also to answer. And it will tell you a lot about yourself and those that you love. I think Jesus was in the business of dreams. I believe Jesus, whose life began with all these dreams that happened to Mary and Joseph and the Magi, surrounded by dreams, dreams, dreams coming to his parents as he was about to be born. I believe that Jesus triggered the dreams in that group of fishermen by the sea when he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they knew in their soul, John and James and Peter and Andrew did, that life was more than catching fish. That there was more significance to it than that. And if it was catching fish, then it was more than that. It was, it was something in addition to catching fish. And for every one of you, I would say, no matter what your occupation, and every occupation is honorable in the sight of God as long as it is honest and of good report. It's not that you need to change your occupation, but, but learn what God is seeking to do with great significance through you in the place where He puts you and the people around whom you live and with whom you interact every day. The significance of your life is more than catching fish. And Jesus triggered that in Peter's heart when he said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And that's the business every believer of Jesus is in. Every follower of Jesus is in the business of fishing for men. And it is an occupation of great significance and a pursuit of the highest order. And when we know what God has called us to, that is touching the lives of other humans around us, befriending them, loving them in His name, communicating to them the truth of the Gospel that Jesus loves them and God loves them and Christ died for their sin. These wonderful truths that we hold in our heart, as we do that, we find in that communication and in the connection with human beings, however it may be, we find there the great significance of our lives. We discover that life happens not so much here, but in the arc between me and the other person. As I see their face and say, you look dejected, what's happening? And then say, tell me your dreams. Jesus is up to something. As he hears blind Bartimaeus the folks around Bartimaeus say, Hush up. Don't be hollering so loud. Jesus is a busy person. He doesn't need to stop here. 
But blind Bartimaeus, the beggar in Jericho, cries out even louder as they protest, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops and calls him out, just like he often does. And he says to this man who is blind, who is led by others to the feet of Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Blind Bartimaeus knows. Lord, I want to see. Lord, I want to see. I want good eyes. There is a fellow in the Bible who lays by the pool of Bethesda every day, week after week, year after year, paralyzed, cannot walk, and he lays there for 38 years. And Jesus comes by. And Jesus starts talking to the man. And he says to the man, What do you want? And the man can't get to the point. He doesn't tell him he wants to walk. He says, he's got all these excuses. Well, you know, every time I try to, somebody else gets in first, and the angel starts, but I'm not there in time. And, and he has all the excuses about why he's uh, not able to get in the water. And he never tells Jesus what he wants. Did your dream die? If Jesus were to come by your place today and say, hey, what do you want? Would you lead with excuses? Oh, it's been a rough life, Lord. And it's just about over. And I'm of no use to anyone anymore. I just lay here by the pool. I remember where Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and quoted the prophet Joel when he said, This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, all this commotion, all this transformation, all this power unleashed in this place. This is what Joel talked about when he said, Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And when the Spirit is poured out on a body of people, they dream and they envision. They don't stop till they go on to glory. Bartimaeus knows what he wants. He's got his dream. I want to see. The paralytic by the pool of Bethesda, he's as paralyzed as he can be, but unable to put into words his dream. Jesus calls you into the middle. Calls you to trust in Him. And to see what He will do with a life committed and laid down. The greatest opportunity you have in life is to trust in Christ the Lord and see what He takes, where He takes you, and what He will do in you.
Don't stop dreaming. Begin now to serve others. Shift your focus to their faces. Listen to their dreams. God will renew and restore and stir in you a new era of significant ministry. Let's bow together. Somebody in this place needs to trust Jesus as Savior. That's the great need of your heart. That's what you need to do. You need to lay it down today. Say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I can't do this on my own. I want your life in me. This life I've lived didn't turn out very good. God, I want you in me. And I give my life to you, and I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. Would you turn your heart to the Savior? Receive him as Lord, confessing your sin. Maybe you trusted Christ long ago, but you lost the dream. You forgot what was really significant and important. And God's calling you back to a trust in him, to renew your heart, renew your faith, and start you on the path again. Maybe what you need to do is pray with the counselor this morning and say, look, I, I just want to renew. I'm coming and I'm bringing my self as a living sacrifice to God to start over in this walk with him Lord we pray today that you would stir our hearts call us to yourself Lord that you would help us begin now to serve others as you've called us to do that you would help us shift our focus to their faces Lord that you would teach us how to listen to their dreams and so draw them to the Savior in whose name we pray. Amen.